Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Float Your Boat. I'm Brett Pattinson and I'm George Sabados. George is away again for this episode, which is a shame because I know he really wanted to do this episode, but he's off in the wild somewhere, either chasing goats <coughs> or pretending to be in the army. In, as I always say, in George's case, it'd be Dad's army. But anyway, let's get on with it. So today we've got a fellow named Ken Salisbury, also known as Kenny to all the locals and uh, or alias Kenny Holden. Ken was a super welterweight um, Australian champion and an English welterweight champion or middle class and middleweight. Um, he's represented England many times. He's an Australian champion. He's in the Hall of Fame, in the Australian Boxing Hall of Fame. And Kenny has a super famous fight that if you go onto YouTube and have a look at it, um, it's one of those fights that you'll never forget. Round eight of this 12-round fight for the... Australian Junior Middleweight Championship held by Alex Timelkoff fighting in the red trucks and challenger Ken Salisbury. Good left-right combination by Salisbury. Not hard punches. Timelkoff wants him to come in. He comes in. Beautiful straight left jab. Oh, that was a good left hook. That really shook up Salisbury just for a moment. And now the champ's gone a bit wild. And Bernie Hall has actually pulled him. Oh, here's a, a real go. You won't see this too often. One of the corner men, the fight's still going. And one of the corner men from Timelcoff's corner, Chucky Raymond, the referee, is trying to stop it. The uh, corner man's down. Chucky Raymond is now fighting with one of the corner men. The fight will have to win. Chucky Raymond throwing everything. Bernie Hall is now throwing punches. There are other people in the ring. There must be 20 people in the ring, punches flying everywhere. Where will this end? The two fighters, what's happened to? One fighter we've found. Uh, the other fighter, Ken Salisbury, right out of the ring. He's been dragged out of the ring. The other fighter, the champ, Tamilkoff, has uh, stayed in the ring. What will happen here? Chucky Raven, the referee, had to do what he did. He had to fight off. Uh, one of the cornermen who was throwing punches in. Here's Ken Salisbury back in the ring. And the referee has declared Ken Salisbury the winner and new Australian champion. And we have one of the most sensational finishes to any fight in Australian recent history. Ken Salisbury declared the winner by referee Charky Raymond after one of the most incredible exhibitions in certain quarters of hooliganism one would ever see in a fight. And he'll tell us a bit more about that during the episode. But Ken was born in the UK and grew up in Liverpool. And uh, I think he was born around 1953. So he's been around a fair time, uh, moved to Australia in the 70s, I think, and um, has lived in Bondi ever since. Kenny's, uh, like to us, a local hero. He's a member of our surf club, the Bondi, the best club, the Bondi Surf Club. And... Um, we see Kenny every other day sparring um, in the gym or running along the beach. He's a true boxer. 
and this is uh, a great episode. So sit back and uh, have a listen to the story. to the Float Your Boat podcast about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Ken. Kenny. Breh. Holden, I hear, also. Uh, for a specific reason. So what? Yeah, so I noticed because I I Wikipedia'd you. Yeah. And I noticed on Wikipedia that it says alias Ken Holden. Okay. Holden was my mum's surname. Right. Pre before she got married to my dad, Salisbury. And just before I come to Australia, a guy in the gymnasium said to me, "Ken, when you go there, use a, a false name. So a name I could always remember would be Holden." Obviously, my mum's maiden name. Hmm. Purely for tax reasons. <laughs> <laughs> As you do. As you do. Sixty dollars I got for my first fight. Sixty bucks. So forget about it. Yeah, thought, right. You know, but potential-wise, maybe down the track. But they would—they would have always found out where I come from and my my proper name and all that. Like it was, yeah, it was. Uh, so you grew up bullshit. in. So you grew up in Liverpool. Was born in Liverpool and then we moved. They moved us outside of Liverpool, about seven miles outside of Liverpool, a place called Kirby, K I R K B Y. Right. Which um, it was just a load of houses from like the the, the post-war migration from like Liverpool that took a lot of heavy bombing from the Germans in the war. Mm. So they moved the people out after the war. So Kirby was one of the places that they moved them to. And Kirby had nothing there, Brett. There was nothing there apart mm. from houses and a few pubs and a couple of shops. There was nothing. There was nothing to 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 be entertained by, and that's why they they call it like the um, they call it like uh, the Beirut of the North, you know. So because there's nothing there. <laughs> so is it is it like that now? Like what? no, it's a lot a lot lot better. I was there a couple of years ago, and it's 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 improved dramatically. It's not the same place. Like back in the day, like the kids used to bite the dogs, and that's the way it was, you know. So, <laughs> it, was, um, so you it was a tough old place. So you grew but up. You in didn't. A... Well, sorry, so yeah. you, you didn't. You didn't recognise how tough it was because you were. It was your environment, you know. That's you were used to it, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So you grew up in a working class family, I take yeah. it, and, and yeah. mum and dad, and yeah. two brothers, two, two brothers, si two siblings, yeah. And uh, older or younger? I was the eldest. Right. And I had Paul, who was two years younger than me, and Roy, who lives here now in Australia with us. Um, he was five years younger than me. And uh, and your mum and dad, uh, what, what did your dad do? Ted was, um, he was a seaman back in the day, merchant yep. seaman. Yep. That's when he met my mum in Liverpool, because Liverpool, obviously, a big seafaring port. Yep. The busiest port in Europe at one time. And... Um, 
Yeah, so my dad met mum there. Mum used to just work, do a bit of factory work and stuff like that. But it was a very loving environment. Of, you know, it was a loving family. and It was all good. You know, it was never, never any problem. And as I say, I mean, we grew up, you know, scratching for pennies here and pennies there, mm. like most people. But you didn't realise because that was your environment. You, know? you didn't have to worry about it. You were, you were a kid. You know. Yeah. So yeah. there was always food on the table. But it was a tough neighbourhood. Yeah, well, in reflection it was. Yeah, right. But again, when you're living in that you don't see circumstance, that you don't you don't recognise it. So you grew up and and you grew up as a normal kid in a normal family, scratching for pennies, but yeah. but you you got to an age so how did the boxing thing the start? The boxing I guess? come on board with my dad was um my dad was a, a boxing fan. I'd never boxed never boxed, but he was a real boxing fan. And second to football, which is the, the real football, soccer, hmm. in Liverpool, boxing was probably the most prominent sport. So it was a really deep pool. And as well as wanting those wanting the me and my brothers to take care of ourselves streetwise, hmm. um so he, he he ushered us onto a little gymnasium. A friend of his was opening in um, in a place called Bootle, which is about seven miles away from us. And um, yeah, so Ted got my dad got us into that. I was about nine years of age at the time. And your brothers did it as well. Well, my both brothers been in the gym. Yeah, so Paul had been seven, and Roy was obviously too young. Just a baby. Yeah. Then, yeah, yeah. But did did they um, did they continue boxing? Into their, you know. Roy had a couple of fights. Paul is as good as he was, as good as much ability as he had. He didn't box now, but Roy had a couple of fights. He uh, won, won one last one, so he, he got right. out when he was one and one cut, cutting even. Yeah, <laughs> he was cutting even. Now, um, you know, the boxing was like I remember us getting up. It was being sixty three, sixty four. Ali fighting. Ali fighting for the world title against Sonny Liston. Mm-hmm. And it was like cold March morning, freezing cold, and it was the first telecast from the United States to, to Britain of, of, a, of a sporting event so, so large. And um, I remember just getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning, freezing cold in the middle of March. My dad, Ted, putting a... Putting a this, is a this is how prestigiously occasion was he put a bit of coal on the fire to to heat the room up and we watched um, Muhammad Ali become world champion and you remember that like yesterday oh vividly yeah black and white and was it a good fight that one it was a great fight yeah Ali's just too clever and I, frustrated and, and I know you don't like name dropping but later in life when you were a professional you you sparred with Muhammad Ali no I I met him just by just um <clears throat> Off the cuff, I met him in San Francisco about 25 years ago. Yeah. Was that at a boxing event? No, or? no, we were just walking through San Francisco. Really? Just walking through San Francisco. He just brought, or he, there'd just been a biography written about him by a guy called David Hauser. And they were pushing this, um, they were pushing this bio. And we were walking past this bookshop and my, my, my wife said to me, did you see that big picture of Muhammad Ali in the window there? They said, let's go back and have a look. So we went back and had a look, and who was in there? Muhammad Ali. I could not believe it, bro. <laughs> could not believe it. And all the Yanks were in there saying, hey, give me a best shot, champ. You know how loud they can be. Yeah, yeah. Give me a best shot, champ. And I sneaked up, 
and I got next to him and he was golden. He was sitting down on a chair. He was golden, radiating gold. I mean, you thought, oh my God. Obviously, it was my my take on the situation, mm-hmm. but like it was, it was yeah, incredible. So was who was he your favourite boxer? Of yeah, all he time? was. He was. He was the one. Still is. Yeah. Still is. Yeah. And who comes close to Muhammad? No, oh, because he he transcended boxing. Yeah, so I don't think there's anybody that's actually transcended boxing the way he did, you know, mm. with the Vietnam thing and mm. all that. You know, I think he uh, and it was all about love, you know. But he could be a real bastard as well, <laughs> as he because he treated Joe Frazier really shab- shabbily, shabbily, to say the least, you know. Mm-hmm. So let's get back to where the the early days, beginning. Yeah. So you yeah. so you got, you started off in the gym and. When did they recognise that you might have a bit of talent? Well, again, because it was such a deep pool. I mean, there was just loads of kids in the gym because there was nothing else to do but bar go to the gym. So you had to kind of like, it was a bit of a peer thing, you know. Mm. So mm. I guess when I was about 10, because we'd been in the gym, I'd been going to the gym for about a, a year, 18 months. And before they let you spar, back in the day, you had to show that you uh, had all the, the ability to go into the ring and actually spar. Mm. I mean, you could shadow box in the ring, mm. but you they wouldn't allow you in the to the ring until you could hold your hands up, basically. Right. So that took a bit of a... Uh, yeah, and I think that's when they've obviously seen that I had a, a bit of ability. And did somebody take you under their wing, or was there a particular... No, because, again, there was a ra- lot. the ratio to, to the from the kids that were wanted to, to learn to the trainers was pretty pretty big, you know. The ratio was like probably 10 to 1 or something like that. So they had to, you had to step up to be recognised, obviously, and he was there. Yeah, so I got a bit of recognition there. I had my first amateur fight when I was 11. 11? Mm. I was going to say, did you remember your first oh, fight? Oh, yeah, vividly, yeah. Vividly, it was in a place called Ormskirk, just outside of Kirby and... Um, yeah, I won that fight and I won seven fights on the bounce. So my first seven fights. So I was getting a little bit of recognition and then done that for about four four years. So I'd have been 13, 15, 15. So four years, 15, and I was getting a bit tired of it, looking, right. you know, finding girls and stuff like yeah, that. Right. And I left it, I left it at about 16 till, till I was 18. So I, that, those couple of years, I never went back to the gym. And I thought, you know what? I was at a boxing match, a local boxing match, and I thought, I'm as good as these fellas, if not better, when I was watching them. And it's, it's easy from the fourth row to say that. Yeah, but you've right. got to get down the gym and start again. And, yeah. and um, yeah, so I went back down the gym, and a guy took me under his wing, a guy called Eddie Pugh, I, I, I'll always, and he taught me about the boxing. He also taught me life skills as well, but he taught me a lot about the boxing, you know. He showed me, like, a really intelligent guy. And I love that kind of, like, dynamic about about boxing, which it becomes, like, a vicious game of chess mm. rather than just a brawl. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> so he takes you under, under his wing. How long was it before you started doing, like, professional Oh, it was a long time. So when I was, so Eddie got me around, I was about 17. And when I was 19, I'd progressed and progressed through the, through the amateurs. And when I was 19, 
I uh, got asked to box for England, so I was representing England. That's that's I, again. I can't emphasise how much of a deep pool it was. Mm. Anyway, so I'm boxing for England and going over to France and and Denmark and home. So when ho- you say boxing place. for England, what is that? Oh, is okay, that so like a, is that a professional still? No, amateur? no, no. We're still amateur, <clears throat> but yep. we you're representing the country, country so right. you're in the top top echelon. Yep. With you know top three amateurs in the country. And were you a welterweight then? I was a light welterweight then. Right, a light welter. So I was like a little skinny fella then. He but I was, you know, I was just on that growth space. Yep. Um. So that was about yeah. So we was on France and stuff like that. And then again, I kind of fell out with it, and yeah, nothing was happening. And I'd girl, you know. A permanent girlfriend, she didn't like me going to the gym, blah, 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 mm. stuff like that. And um, that's when I decided to come to Australia. So I was about 23 at the time. What year was that? That would have been <clears throat> 76, 1976. But you were around in the 60s listening to the Beatles, I take it. Mm, yeah. So was was music a big part of your... Oh. You know, like that that period in the in yeah. the mid to late sixties. Oh, incredible. I mean, uh, on reflection, I mean, what a great time to be, what a wonderful time to be brought up, mm. like with the music and and the sportsmen that were around us, like Pele, Muhammad Ali, you know, the Beatles, the Stones. It was a golden era. It was a golden time. Yeah, it was. It really was. But and that's why again that Liverpool connection, because it was like a west facing port. Mm. They used to get a lot of trade from the from North America, so early in the day, the the, the seamen, the merchant seamen, would be bringing over stuff like stuff for like um, from Buddy Holly and um, all those all those kind of fellas that were coming through, but hadn't been publicised at the mm. time. They used to bring the uh, the forty fives back over from the states with them. BB King and you know the, the list is endless. But because nobody had heard of them in the UK at that time, or unless you were going on like late late night radio from mm. Radio Luxembourg, you had to go and find it. Yeah, it right. wasn't like prominent. So, uh, so you came to Australia in the early seventies. I came to I came to Australia in nineteen seventy nine. So, do you remember stepping off the plane yeah. and, and your first impressions yeah. of Australia? Yeah. Tell me about that. Okay. I could put it in a nutshell. The next day, I went down to Chifley Square to book a flight home. I hadn't been here 24 <laughs> hours. So the reason being, the plane was late and we got in late at night and then he took us out to this place called Villawood. Because I was sponsored to come out here, that's a kind of like, it was a thing you of care, you know. Mm. So they had to look after me till like I found my own feet sort of thing. And so... Took me out to Villawood and I was sharing I was sharing a room with two political refugees, two guys from Poland. I was just shaking my head, thinking I've left a girlfriend, I've done this, I've left a good job, blah 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 in the UK. What am I doing here? Next day, so I jumped on the train from Villawood into into the city and I'm sitting in Chifley Square wondering what I've been to Australia House. And I said, well, how much is it for me to go back to England? Went to Qantas to see, to see how much the flight would be. And all told, if I had to reimburse the, the Australian government, 
and my flight. It was 500 pounds, in, obviously, in, in sterling. And it's exactly the money I, I had on me. That's what I come to Australia with, was 500 quid. So I went outside and I'm sitting on, there used to be a big fountain in Chifley Square. Mm. I'm sitting on this fountain, sitting by this fountain, not, not thinking about contemplating jumping in or not like that. But <laughs> I, um, so I was just thinking, there, but I must have had a face on me like a, like a, lo, like a long weekend, a long mm. wet weekend. Yeah. And this lady come up to me and she said, whatever's the matter? I said, she said, well, I said, I've left my girlfriend, I've done this, and I've done that, and I've come to Australia, and, you know, I'm sitting, I'm having a room with these two political refugees. She went, it's okay, it'll be fine. She wasn't a crank and nothing like mm. that. She gave me her address and everything to the lady from Lane Cove, and um, I went. Anyway, it just got me over that hurdle. You know, mm. sometimes you just need a bit of a, a bit of a nudge to keep going. So, so... You got sponsored, what, was that for boxing? Or? Yeah. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> so Australia wanted you. So uh, because of the sports connection and, and, and my my um, employment history and stuff like that, that was all good, hmm. they, they they brought me out here. But it was, yeah, essentially the boxing, I suppose. Right. So you so you got here, you end up in Villawood of all places. I ended places. up in Villawood. Jesus. And I have one phone number from a gymnasium in Liverpool. The guy gave me one phone number. The fella who just come back, the same guy that told me to use Holden as my surname. Yep. Anyway, <laughs> so he gave me one phone number. It was a guy called Johnny Clach. Right. Okay, he was a London boy, ex-boxer, good boxer. I was living here in Bondi. And um, when I come to Bondi, he was the king of Bondi. Right. He, was, he could fight like, like nobody's business. Right. But he was never a bully. He was a great... Great, just then become, and to this day, he's a great friend. Hmm. And um, anyway, so he still lives in Bondi now, and we're still the best of friends. But it was that one phone number, and he kind of like embracing me here back in the day. I mean, it was 79. This place was like, um, it was like, uh, like a cowboy town, you know, mm -hmm. like Dodge City. Yeah. It's like anything used to go here, Would you know, been, it was incredible. Yeah. Well, what's the best thing that came out of Villawood was the road to Sydney, really, so, or the road to Bondi. So you're lucky you ended up in Bondi. So lucky. And, and, and you've been in Bondi ever since? Ever since. I remember driving, I remember getting the 380 from the city and it was coming round the bend there at um, South Bondi, coming round the bend. And I went, my God, how good is this? Yeah. And then, you know, 40, almost 40 years later, still here. I still Never. come around that bend and go, how good is this yeah. after yeah. all these years? Yeah. But Bondi, yeah, it was a tough, it was a tough neighbourhood in the 70s and May, 80s. It was like <coughs> rife, you know, everyone was, you know, there was house breaking and mm. drug running and the whole thing. I mean, not that it's changed, I mean, it's changed dramatically, but so you I'm came not, here. not for the better. You came here. You started boxing, obviously. Started boxing, and and because of like there was a there was a big English community here in Bondi, mm. Kiwis, English, and and the token Australians, mm. and um, but they really got behind me for the boxing. They mm. they would fill busloads of people that would come and see me boxing. So the the. The, as I progressed with the boxing fight after fight after fight, un, undefeated, the crowds got bigger and bigger and bigger. 
So mm. obviously that was a promoter's dream. So my manager, my old manager, a guy called Bernie Hall, who was the quintessential like manager, he wouldn't give you a two bar by the, you know, if he didn't have to. Mm. Um, <laughs> he's seen he's seen the potential. Mm. So he he was he become my promoter as well. Not a good mix, manager, no, promoter. No, no. Now, you know. So did that end? Uh, yeah, end, that didn't end well. I take it. Well, I, you know, I'm a kind of like I'm, I'm a stick by you kind of fella. So mm. like I stuck by it, you know, because I really didn't know any different actually, and mm. there was no one that was going to guide my career. It wasn't like as if it was like um, you were on the TV every week and you, you know, you you were the notoriety outside of Bondi was kind of minimal. So but, you um, <clears throat> so you got. I mean, how many fights did you have undefeated? I had 33 fights. I won, lost one, and I drew one. So that's a pretty good record. Yeah. So you, so... People, people, people say to me, how many fights did you have? I said, well, I had 33 fights. I said, 32 ended in knockouts, and I won the other one. <laughs> <laughs> it was a title fight, yeah. I think. Yeah. And uh, I just happened to stumble upon a YouTube thing about uh, of it last night yeah. or the night before last and um, I say, I quickly emailed it over to George, my co-host who you know well, who, well. who can't be here today because he's off um, playing Dad's Army but that's another story. Who do you think you are kidding Mr Hitler if you think old England's done? And... He rang me straight up and he said, you've made my day. And he said, that's a spoof, right? And I said, no, I think that was a fair dinkum fight and, and it was yeah. a fair dinkum outcome. Yeah. I think that's what happened in the fight. Yeah. And he said, oh, no, bullshit, that's not possible. And I said, I'm pretty sure and I'm going to ask Kenny when I see him for yeah. the interview whether – tell us a story. I've okay. got, I mean, it's a, so it's a title fight, right? Yeah. So I'm challenging for the light middleweight championship of Australia, which is held by a guy from from um, Macedonian based in based in Wollongong called Alex Tamilkov. And um, so yeah, so Rodonikus has put it on. John Singleton's fronted it. Uh, Rodonikus is fronted it. John John Singleton's behind the scenes because he was with the uh, board at the Opera House at the time. And um So it was fought at the Opera House. He was he, he was fought at yeah, Sydney in the Opera House. In right? the Opera House. In it the was main like hall. the last fight that they the had first in, and last fight. First and last yeah. fight. <clears throat> so it's a big deal. It's not yeah. like it's not like a it's, no. it's like a it's like now if we were watching that young fella up in Queensland fight yeah. the the uh, yeah. Malaysian guy, right? Yeah. It's a big fight. It's at the Opera House. John Singleton, of course, he's behind it. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Take it away. So Tommy is the front of it all. He's the the promoter, so to speak. And um, and the fight's got, it's like, it was kind of like, we didn't like each other. I'd I'd been down to to Wollongong to watch him fight because I'd done a little bit of homework on the guy. And I knew it was kind of be, not a stroll in the park, and I wouldn't be so... Flippant is to say that, like, but it was just like I just knew I had this guy's measure as long as he didn't, he, he could punch this kid, but he, you know, he boxing wise, he would, you know, I, I could outbox him. He wasn't a genius, he wasn't a genius. So, 
And we had the ghost, the fight goes on, and it was great big hoopla in front of it and all that, which was great, you know, which promotes again, a promoter's dream. Um, it was the Matador Bull. So, where we go, we're having the fight and like that. So it goes nine rounds, and I'm like, just like streets ahead, it's a walk in the park for mm. me. And that's with respect to him, you know. Mm. It was a bullet, it was, it was made for me, just jabbing and moving and round and round and like teasing him and a few little, yeah, a few, a few little, Muhammad Ali moves in a there. Few, a few sneaky moves as well. I mean, because I'm, because I'm like a boxer, boxer, you know, I'll work off a jab and all that. And people think, oh, he must be like that as a person as well. But like, I would, I know I was like hurt their arms and stick my thumb in the mouth and mm. butt them and all that, you know, mm. and elbow them. I'll just do everything, you know, what I mean? but I'll get away with it because they just go, that couldn't have been an elbow, you know, because <laughs> Kenny's just thrown it. But, right. you know, I was taught properly in both both scales, you know, mm. boxing and fighting. Mm. Anyway, so ninth round, backs me into my corner and jabbed him and moving away. And he's, he's kind of, launched himself on top of me so I've kind of ducked and his weight he's pushed me down so he's hitting me on the back of the head as you've probably seen mm. so he's hitting me on the back of the neck my, it was in my corner mm. so my trainer Bernie Hall has run up the steps and pulled them off me pulled, it, pulled his hair and pulled them off, off me and which is quite legal apparently mm. because he's protecting his boxer mm. he was protecting me at the end of the day, well, that turned into a, like a melee because his, the guy's brother who was in his corner, Temakov's brother, ran across the ring, done the flying drop kick on Bernie, and that's when it just all exploded. It really did explode. And if uh, for all those listeners out there, if you um, if you get a chance, just YouTube Ken Salisbury, and it's the first fight that comes up because it's it as. You, as usual, you could fight the perfect fight four million times and you have one fight where there's some disturbance <laughs> and that's the one that goes straight to the top of Google. Yeah. Yeah. But in, the, in, the, in that fight towards the end, the guy jumps in and starts flying into your, tra your trainer and then the ref gets stuck into it as well. He starts throwing a few. There's so many aspects to the fight. And then – and you're, you're like, I'm out of here. So you've moved away. And then they start – then somebody just chases you and starts trying to lay into you. And then it all gets – erupts. There's, there's a, the, whole, the whole ring is full of people. Yeah. At that point, what were you thinking? <laughs> I thought, well, I knew I'd won, but all I wanted to do – was for someone to put my hand up and tell me I'd won. So Radonicus, and I, so I'm like that with Radonicus. What's fucking going on? Mm. And so he puts my hand up. Was, sh was the ref? Who was the ref? Sharky, a guy called Sharky Raymond, who right. coincidentally had been the light middleweight champion before me, about five or six years before. Because he looked like he could box oh. as well. He fight like a thrashing machine, Sharky, mm. and then he. He got stuck in because he's seen Temelkov's brother trying to chin me. Mm. And, um, but if he'd have had proper shoes on Sharky, he would have knocked everybody out in that <laughs> ring, apart from me, I hope. <laughs> but um, what you've seen in the ring, Brett, is just a microcosm of what was going on in the bleachers. There were running battles. There was people getting thrown over balconies. It just went ballistic <laughs> up there. 
It went ballistic. <laughs> it was like running battles up and down the up and down the aisle. Oh, so everybody was punching it out. Between the English contingent that was there for me and the Macedonian contingent that was there for them. And like, you know, you have you have you heard the story about the money? The the, the bet on the side? Nah, nah. Well, it's supposed to be all this money being being challenged like from the Macedonians to the English. Like there's supposed to be a big bag of money. And Sharky was supposed to be holding it, the referee, but obviously he had to pass it on whilst he was doing the refereeing. Mm. Well, apparently there was $35,000 in the bag. That's a lot of money. And what Back year was that? Seven, so that would have been 82. 82. Yeah. 35 grand. That was just open. That was just open. Bets. That's a house. Back so in, back in those days. But we don't know where the bag went. Oh, really? <laughs> to this day. Nobody knows where the bag went. Really? Yeah. Strange, eh? Funny. See, you know, you yeah. can't, you couldn't write that, could nah. you? You couldn't write, nah. you couldn't write a nah. script. Damien Runyon couldn't write that. <clears throat> Unbelievable. Yeah. So, so the last scene of the, uh, of the YouTube is, is them putting your hand up as the victor. Hmm. And you've gone off, which was fantastic. Well, the guy that dragged me out of the ring was Johnny Clack, the guy I come over and that, like, Embraced me here in Bondi. Right. You know, so he was again my saviour. So you were then the so you were then the middleweight. Like middleweight champion of but, Australia. So that was all happy days, but like the repercussions of like that fight. Well, yeah, I still you can hear them still today. Everywhere I go with the with the boxing connection is They you bring that talk, fight up. I always want to talk I'm over it like that, but <laughs> <laughs> but, Shark, but Sharky said something, we were in Melbourne a couple of years ago with the uh, the Hall of Fame, mm. and Sharky said to me, he said, Kenny, if it hadn't been for that, the big fight, it would have just been another fight. Mm. And so he said, yeah. So Sharky's boy come home to him. This is a good story, Brett. Sharky's little boy come home to him one day, Darcy. He said, Dad, he said, Dad, Darcy's 11. Dad, he said... All these people have been talking to me about you. He said, like that, they're all watching you on the YouTube. And he said, Dad, you've had a million shots, a million hits on YouTube. And he said, uh, You're more popular than One Direction. <laughs> <laughs> Good, doesn't it? What happened after that? So, what I used to do, but I used to box at middleweights as well when I was, when I was really didn't have to make the weight. Mm. You have to make the weight to be. Um, for, the, for them to sanction your fight. So for, for light middleweight, it was 69 point something kilos. Mm. And then I used, I used to come down to that weight, which I had done it quite easily. Mm. It's called making the weight. Mm. And then, um, but occasionally I used to box at middleweight. But So I become, because I could do the both weights and I was good at both weights, obviously I was champion at the light, the light middle and number one contender for the middleweight title because I, Mm -hmm. You know, I was quite handy. And um, I wish, in hindsight, one of the... I don't wish for anything, really, but I think, in hindsight, I, w I would have, if with the benefit, I would have fought for the middleweight title as well. Mm. I should have fought for the middleweight title. There would have been dual champion then, you know. So, so you never did... <clears throat> you never got to that? No, but I was number one contender for a long time. And even being number one contender, I mean, people in boxing, it's like you know, who's good at and bad at the football. 
Yeah. You know, you know who's the better, you know, and people in the football know who's the best team. Like people in the boxing knew who was the best middleweight. So when did you stop? And I why stopped. did you stop? I stopped. I stopped because I had a motor accident. And um, my brother, we were driving to work one morning, and I had to crash the car and done my back and done my stingo and it was knocked about a fair old bit. It was just prior to a fight. I was going to buy, fight a kid called Paul Tawil. So this would have been 85, 86. And I knew I was slowing down and I thought, you know what? That's a bit of a, a, bit, a, bit of a sign, a bit of a message, mm. you know? So mm. I, I was confident of beating Paul, but, you know, I, I, as you would be at any fight, you have to have that confidence. But I think, um, <clears throat> I think that was a little sign for me to say, Kenny, hang them up, you know? So did, so when so when you were boxing in that period from mm. the 70s right through, that's a lot of years of boxing, mm. you mm. were working as well? Yeah, I was working as well. But, you know, when you think about it, my first fight when I was 11 and I retired when I was, first amateur fight when I was 11 and I retired when I was about 30, what would that be? 33. It's a lot, like, of, lot of yeah, fights. 19, so that's 33 years and, you know, almost 100 amateur fights represented England you know, Australian champion, Commonwealth champion. Like even when the when when we fought for the Commonwealth title at the uh, at Sydney Town Hall, <clears throat> was a guy from Zimbabwe, big tall guy, lovely guy, you know, and lovely. You just know that like that he'd been tainted a little bit by the um, by the country that he come from, you know, mm. because it's a tough they, 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 he couldn't even he couldn't even accept not that he couldn't accept he was overwhelmed by how p nice people t treated him he was from Zimbabwe you know I've been there they treat, you get treated like shit you know yeah 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 so listeners just remember if you like float your boat go and review us on whichever app you're using at the moment whether it be on your Android or your iPhone. Yes. And be sure to review, uh, find the review tag. And yep. click on that and write a nice review. Or, yes. And subscribe. Yes. Because all of that goes into pushing us up the rankings a little bit more so we can spread the love of Float Your Boat out there to the real world. And apart from all that, we really would appreciate it. We would. We appreciate all of that stuff. And, and if you've got somebody that you think would be great for us to interview, um, email us at fybpodcast at gmail.com. Terrific. Thank you. I was inducted to the Hall of Fame. Mm. I was going to get to that, and, yeah. uh, Sorry. No, that's fine. And, um, you know, they, they just went, you know, there was the room full of like, full, a room full of your peers mm. all standing up clapping you, you know, it was like, I guess that was a pretty special moment. A special moment, right? Yeah, yeah. So you, so you're in the Hall of Fame. In the Hall of Fame, and I yeah. Uh, With some of those greats like Mundine and uh, yeah, yeah. Famishon Sharky, who, the referee. He was in. <laughs> he, was, he, he, he was. He's in the Hall of Fame as well. He was, uh, so the yeah, boxing fraternity is a pretty big family still. I take big it, family, it? and it's a good word, family, because it's becoming that. You know, mm. it's becoming because it's such a hard game, and it's like. You know, it's it's your corner. Literally, you know, there's not a great deal given out. Mm. When I see, when I see, when I go to, 
reunions and that these days. I can see the camaraderie of boxers where they are eventually thinking, you know, we can give and receive, you know, mm. because back in the day, I mean, boxers give very little away, Brett, very little away. Yeah, I was wondering about the boxing fraternity <coughs> or the bo- boxing generally, like people, gen- you know, people in the general public see it as, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a barbarian sport. It's mm. you know, it's it's rough and nasty. Mm. But but there's an art to boxing, isn't there? That people, only boxing people and fans of boxing see. Mm. I, I always find it a, an odd thing that people don't take it for that. There's an art for me. It is it is the beautiful science, you know. Mm. I can see, <clears throat> I can see like, I can see again t- to quote what I said before. <clears throat> it's a it's a vicious game of chess. Mm. You're moving, I'll move, and I'll move this move, and you know. But Andre Agassi, I read I read his I read his autobiography <clears throat> quite some time ago, and he tried to liken boxing to, with tennis. But there's no liking. You can't liken it to anything because at the end of the day, you play tennis or you play football or you play soccer, Mm. but you don't play boxing. No. You don't play boxing. You box and you go and have a fight. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm. In the ring, were you ever scared? Nah. Never? Nah. Never, ever scared. Never, ever thought I was like in trouble or I'd been... I've never been on the floor, but I've never been knocked down. That's good. Yeah. (laughs) I got the only only time I ever <coughs> excuse me the only time I ever got stopped was in the UK at um, at Royal Albert Hall. I was the headline fight, and in the second round the guy butted me, which is okay because I do it myself. Mm. And um, I got stopped on a cut eye in the second round, so it was minimal really mm. compared to the rest of the stuff. So you've never really been hurt in the ring. As such. I'm not saying I haven't been here, Brett, but I can I can weather the storm. You know, I had mm. a good chin, mm. and you know, again, it was part of the. You know, if you get hit, you'll 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 claim the guy. You'll claim and make sure that he can't do any further damage to you or cover up or whatever you need to do. Mm. You'll do. So uh, you, you told me once that you, that. You, you you sustained more damage outside the mm. ring than you did inside mm. the ring. I, mm. Tell me the story about, um, I think you got glassed mm. somewhere, didn't you? <clears throat> I was 21 in Liverpool and just prior to that I'd just been, i just boxed against Scotland. So it was England versus Scotland and it was on national TV and this is, you've got to try and remember it was back in the day where there was no, there was no internet, there, was no, there wasn't even videos back in the day. Mm. So to be on TV in any respect, it was kind of a big thing. Mm. So I was on TV on the Wednesday night, <clears throat> sports night with Coleman it was called, or sports night. And um, on the Saturday I was going out, I was in Liverpool and I had a few drinks and one of the boys that I knew from boxing, also an England representative, asked me into his club. So I went down to his club, we had a few drinks, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, they kind of like, they sussed out we were there. And, and the guy just come over and started picking on me. And I went, well, what's going on? I'm with a girlfriend and my brother and his girlfriend. So we went out for trouble, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, all of a sudden, he hit me in the face with this 
this pint glass, like a, the, the, with the, uh, and um, yeah, and that was at twenty <clears throat> at twenty one, and that's when I fell out of love with Liverpool for a, quite a long time. Yeah, right. So I just packed my bags and we we just headed south for a couple of years. I lived right. in lived on the south coast in Bournemouth for a while. Well, who's the best Australian boxer you've seen? You know, never got credit. I mean, he's a great boxer and he did he get substantial notoriety, but I don't think he got credit f- for the potential he had and potential he, he, he got to was Tony Mundine. Not Anthony Mundine, but Tony, mm. the dad, you know. Mm. He's a, like, he's a really quiet guy, very um, not up himself in any respect and he's just a lovely man. But And when I first come to Australia, I went to the gym down there in Redfern to watch him sparring. And he was on the pads with a guy called Charlie Gergen, who was a beautiful night, a lovely man. And he was on the pads, and I could not believe the, the speed of his hands. It was... It's, the punches were, like, fast and furious. Mm. And, like, I thought, oh my God, this fella must have been a handful back in his day. I mean, the same guy in boxing parlance, he went, you know, he, was, he knocked on the door of a, um, a, a middleweight <clears throat> to a guy called Carlos Monzon. He went, Monzon was like um, like a Tyson at middleweight. He was like Tyson, but at a middleweight. And he, he was from Argentina, Carlos Monzon. Tony Mondine went to Buenos Aires for Carlos Monzon in his backyard, went six rounds or nine rounds or something like that made a, had a great account of himself but was, there was death threats going into the ring and stuff like that stuff you'd only even hear about mm. and he went nine rounds eh, six or nine rounds with Carlos Manzano like I mean you should be you should be applauded Applaud, for yeah, that right. so where where do you think boxing's going to now well I'm just over it unfortunately right. and I'll because I've loved it since it was since I was a kid, but all the hoopla now just does my head in. Mm. It's just like, you know, I, I watched the um, highlights or the lowlights of a British heavyweight fight last night. It was like last weekend. And the Michael, this guy, Michael, Mike, Michael Buffett, who, who does the announcing. So they announce it and like, they think it's going to be like, do you think the stones were coming on, you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's only these two... Nobeds that I want to have a little go, <laughs> but with the with, with the Grace Hoopla, I mean it's it's bec- it's like a national. It's stop the world like Britain stops for for this fight, which is great, but it, it doesn't constitute. Right, and it what, wasn't and it wasn't good boxing. What's what's there doesn't constitute. The boxing's all right. It's just the hoopla that surrounds it. Right, yeah. it just does my head in. Before we finish off. Talking about money, I guess. So the promoters always win. Yeah. And the and the managers always win. Yeah. But the, what sort of money were you getting at the height of your career well, for, for a I fight? Got, for my last fight in the UK at the Albert Hall, I, I bear in mind I'm top of the bill. Mm-hmm. I got twelve thousand pound. Right. Okay. So flick that over. It's twenty five grand, twenty five, 30, almost thirty thousand dollars, which was my biggest payday. And that was that was defending my Commonwealth title. Right. So, I mean, it wasn't a great deal of money. The thing with boxers, I think, is that like because we are usually 
brought come from a working class background, not used to the the money, the fame, the blah blah blah. Mm. It's very hard for us to handle money or being be be money savvy, mm. as well as try and do the work in the gym and everything else that constitute becoming a contender or a champion or whatever. Yeah. So um, so we always finish the interview with a song. Oh dear. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Oh dear. And get you to pick a song for us to finish off on today. What made me get out? Of, what helped me get out of Liverpool? Mm. Mm. Was Bruce Springsteen? Believe it or not, Bruce when Springsteen. I listen, when okay. I listen to when I listen to Springsteen's music, it motivated me. You know, so I think probably the best album I think that has ever been recorded was Badlands. Um, Badlands or what? Born to Run. Okay. Born and to that, Run. And, and we'll do Born to Run. Okay. Yeah. Born to Run. Yeah. Kenny can. Salisbury Holden, <laughs> alias. It's been a pleasure, privilege. Yeah, and back at you, Brett. Back at you, Mies. Cheers, Mies. Hey, remember in the end, nobody wins unless everybody wins. Come on. One, two.